0: Live from the DT Studios, this is Daily Turismo Radio, powered by EuropeanMotorWorks.com. Here's your hosts, Editor-in-Chief
1: of Daily Turismo, Vince Barbary, and co-founder, Chris Florin.
0: Hello, Motorheads, and welcome to the Daily Turismo Radio Show, broadcasting live on TalkRadio1.com from our studio in scenic Gardena, California. The original site of Walt Disney's failed teacup-only amusement park. Disneyland, was an abject failure. We've got another great show on tap for you today, a special guest in the studio. We're going to do some of the regular games. We'll take questions from our listeners. Um, It's a really, really good show, and I hope you guys enjoy it. But before I get too far ahead of myself, let me introduce some of the other time travelers in the studio with me today. I've got producer Ben, who is uh, unusually comfortable today. Um, and we have a special guest... Wait, wait in honor of Seaflo, I'll say, what up. <laughs> what up, yes, yes. Sorry, uh, Cflow or Chris, uh, my regular co-host, isn't able to make it today. But um, we have a special guest in the studio, uh, Steven Spearer from the Steven Spearer Show on Talk Radio 1. Uh, he is an attorney, an entrepreneur, a business advisor, and a radio show host. Um, so, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Vince. Happy to be here. Great. Now, my first question is... Uh, how did you get involved with talk radio one
1: i wanted to be a talk show host from the time i was eight years old i remember vividly at the age of eight here in los angeles listening to kbc and listening to the talk show host and listening to the caller and the caller would ask a question and then i would turn down the radio or they make a comment i turn down the radio and i would pretend to be the host i'm eight so i'm talking about like the vietnam war something i know nothing about and I talked and talked and then went out to the commercials saying this is talk radio 790K ABC back in a moment. And I would do that when I was eight. And I played with this and always wanted to do this when I was about 12 or 13. Someone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And my dad, I said, I want to be a talk show host. And my dad said, that's a great idea. Don't ever let go of that idea. Be a talk show host. But first, why don't you do something you can make a living at?
0: Right, and, and he didn't tell you to be an astronaut or anything. No, okay. he, said, <laughs> he
1: said, be do what, something you make a living at, but don't ever, you, know, you can always come back and be a talk show host. And so for years and years, I would say to anybody who mentioned radio, yeah, I'd love to host a show, I love radio, and so forth. And I finally said it one day to a client who was sitting in front of me, was in a lawsuit with his sister over property they'd inherited. And... I said, he's, I said, so what did you do for a living? He said, I'm retired. I was a radio engineer. And I said, I love, I love radio. I'd love to have a radio show. Throwaway line. Mm-hmm. And an hour later, we talked on the phone with his loan broker. And uh, at the end of that conversation, my client said to the loan broker on the speakerphone, tell Steve about your radio show. So he told me about the radio show he was doing at 97.1 KLSX, which was then the FM talk station mm-hmm. on real estate. And the loan broker on the phone said, Why don't you come be a guest? And so I ended up being a guest and then hosting that show and then doing a couple of more shows on KFWB and KBC. And KBC is where I met the proprietor of our station, sure. Talk Radio One, sure. Mark Germain. And that's how I ended up on Talk Radio One
0: wow that's uh that's a little more uh interesting exciting than 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 my own story
1: (laughs) how did you get into radio (laughs)
0: um well uh the the guy who's laughing in the background here he 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 built this the studio uh it's
1: gorgeous by the way it's, it's not thank you it really is acoustically absolutely dead which ladies and gentlemen it means it doesn't echo it's it's the way it's supposed to be great equipment great look great feel
2: Thank you. In Gardena, we needed Acoustically Dead because we don't know what else is going to be dead around here. So.
0: <laughs> I think I'm like, we were, first we were broadcasting from, from from Ben's wife's yoga studio, and we had to pause on an episode recording because there was like cop car sirens yeah. and gunshots in the background. We're like, okay. yeah, well, yeah. So. There was the police standoff episode, which was the great oh, one. That's right. Yeah. One time yeah. we had to post, we almost didn't get to record one because I couldn't actually get to Ben's house. Because of this, the surrounding area was cordoned off for like by the police. Like they wouldn't let us through; they were chasing a suspect somewhere.
1: Well, so. I, hard to tell the police I got to go to Gardena to do a radio show.
0: Right. right.
2: Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> well, the funny <laughs> thing is that we we have some friends. Um, Vince and I know each other; have known each other for years. Our kids go to daycare together, and we go to daycare with a Gardena sergeant. And so he was here on the scene and I wanted to tell him hey we got a radio show to do you guys got to wrap this <laughs>
0: up
1: yeah. yeah solve the crime exactly. we're going
2: on the air yes.
0: <laughs> so uh, you know the the radio show for for, for me it, it sort of it, it fell into my lap due to, due to Ben saying you know hey I'm building the studio uh, I need someone to come uh, be the, the voice. Uh, and he said, yeah, I had a face for radio and that, and that would be perfect to, to join him. I've received him. that same compliment. <laughs> right. And you know, okay, let, let, let's do it. Um, and I kind of joke about it because, um, I'm typically, or I can be a difficult person to understand. I talk very fast and, and Ben is, is relatively computer illiterate. And has problems like sending emails sometimes and so for him to be the engineer me to be the, I
2: think we're in the wrong seats yeah (laughs) that's perfect yeah the
0: the fact that we get this on the air at all is amazing it it is actually it's a weekly miracle
1: and yet here we are (laughs)
0: yes yes and speaking of here we are um, tell me and again because this is a we are a we're a car show Um, tell me how did you get here today
1: I drove here in my Tesla model s uh, okay. Eighty-five, and I've had it for a little over 1985. two years. No, no, <laughs> okay. eighty-five kilowatts, and okay, uh, and I and and I I've had it for a little over two years. I have almost fifty thousand miles on it.
0: Wow. wow. Okay. Now with the Teslas, do you talk about it in terms of model year, or is that not a thing?
1: It doesn't matter much because the Model S has been the model. It's the only model. Before that, they had a Roadster. But they stopped production of that when they started the Model S, and the Model S is the only car they make. Now they've changed battery size. Mm -hmm. You can get different speeds, a faster car. It's the same motor, same electric motor. This is, for anyone who doesn't know, this is an all-electric car. It doesn't have an engine. It has an electric motor. It doesn't have a gas tank. It doesn't have a carburetor, a radiator, a transmission. It doesn't have any of the things you'd find in a regular car. It's a battery system and an electric motor that's about the size of a small watermelon and so, and so that is and and so that's what makes it unusual,
0: yeah, and then, um uh something that I've noticed is that Tesla doesn't try to to play the same game, you know, auto manufacturers since you know a hundred years ago talked about this. We've got the nineteen fifty five models nineteen fifty six models fifty seven and and they're always trying to change something, and now it's like the seven year model cycle. I haven't seen that with Tesla. That- no,
1: but they have just now done it. They came out now with the Model X, which is the large SUV, right. and they've announced right. the uh, issuance in probably another year or two of the Model 3, which is a smaller, less expensive $35,000 car, which is really cheaper than that when you consider you don't pay for gas. Right. Or
0: And there's some, there's some tax rebates on that.
1: And tax rebates on right. top of it, and you don't pay for oil changes because there's no oil because there's no engine. <laughs> right. So you start there. But they've just done something. the The nose cone on the Model X is different from the one on the Model S, the okay. luxury sports sedan. And now, just now, just last week, they changed the nose cone on the Model S to match the new one on the Model X and the Model Three, so it's got a different look to it in the front. Okay. For the first time. So they haven't done it, but I guess they okay. did it this time.
0: Yeah, they have to. They can't. It's not like a. Um Like an MGB or something, they can't keep this exact same design for for 35 years.
1: Right. They have to change something.
0: Yeah. Um, But I did notice that the Model S seems to have fantastic residual value.
1: Yeah, it's holding its value and I think it's probably because they can only they they can they're selling every one of them they can make. It's not like they've got them sitting on a lot where you can go pick from cars. They you order one and you're waiting anywhere if, through the course of the last couple of years, anywhere from as little as 2 months for, to as long as 4 months. If you want the Model X, which I've re- I've reserved one. I haven't oh. configured yet for a couple of reasons, but but uh if i said i wanted it now i'm told i'd have it in september or october so there's a lag time so yeah they're making them as fast as they can and they're selling them faster than that because there's a waiting list for all of them
2: wow, wow. I, I have a question and it's uh just going on your you being a lawyer how do they call it a car if there's no gas tank there's no carburetor there's not even an internal combustion. i mean
1: that's in a way, it's it's not a car, but it, what qualifies it as a car is what allows it to be registered with the California Department of Motor Vehicles and in all 50 states with their various departments of motor vehicles. And so to qualify, it has to have all the things you need for a car. So it has headlights and taillights and turn signals and brakes and parking positions where you can lock the car up from keeping it from rolling if you're going to park it on a hill. And a lot of other things that cause it to be a car, including seat belts and seats and being certain levels of crashworthiness, it is the safest car in the world by far now. Apparently, it broke the machine they used to test it in crashes. <laughs> um, but it, that's why it's a car. It doesn't a requirement for a car is simply that they have a, um manner of propulsion, it doesn't need to be gasoline driven
2: okay, so it's basically the government finding a way to tax something yes okay. yes
1: <laughs> yes and and they'll find a way to tax electric cars because we're not paying gasoline yes. tax because we're not buying gasoline
2: that's true.
0: Yeah, you have, have to pay yeah. a battery tax. There's gonna be a new battery tax coming out or I something like that. Not yes. Would not surprise me. Would
1: not surprise me.
0: No no my experience in the in the past, at least with electric cars, have been these very slow, um pokey things with a bunch of lead acid batteries that weigh about ten thousand pounds. Uh but the Model S, I understand, isn't slow and pokey.
1: It isn't slow and pokey and it isn't lead acid. It's lithium-ion batteries and it's, I understand, I think it's 7,000 batteries that are about the size of a AA battery that are all strapped in a platform which forms the floor of the car, front to back, right to left, the whole floor. And the speed, I got the slowest one. I didn't pay for any of the increases in speed. So mine is 0 to 60 in 5.4 seconds. Which for that's, a sports sedan is right. respectable. Be, that's decent, yeah. But you can get that same car if you want with, uh, with all the extra packages and what they call the ludicrous model, zero to 60 yeah. in 3.2 wow. seconds, which is roller <laughs> coaster speed. Yeah
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like Lamborghini territory, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's fast.
1: And so you can get those. And it's interesting when you buy the extra speed packages, which you can upgrade for. you can go faster and for another $10,000 you can go faster in terms of 0 to 60 speed. Mm -hmm. The way it works in a car, in a regular car, gasoline engine, internal combustion, you get a bigger engine or a different transmission. Well, there is no different engine. It's that same one electric motor the size of a watermelon. And so there is no difference there. The difference is the inverter that converts the DC electricity from the lithium-ion batteries to AC power, which is what powers this AC three-phase motor, which is a standard industrial motor, and that inverter, what you're paying for is a chip that puts more electricity into the motor. It's not a different motor. It's the same motor, but it goes much faster because the chip allows more electricity to go into the motor, which, of course, shortens the range.
2: So, so Vince, is that the same thing as when you chip a car? I mean, is it the same idea? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like
0: when you—it's more—it's more boost. It's—it's it's, you get. L- I you mean, get less less range, less fuel economy, more so, boost. So it's, so yeah. It, yeah.
2: Is, there has to be an aftermarket le- market for these type of chips. I mean, you got someone's got to be able to program something. You know, I know you that know, that's where it's so not ten thousand dollars. You know, someone's could buy like say the the new Somehow X hack model. It. Yeah, hack the X model and make something. You know, the speed I of think... a Lamborghini.
0: Well, and so on a normal internal combustion car, when you buy it, yeah, there's all kinds of chips you can get. If it's boosted, for sure, someone will sell you a chip that'll give you more, more uh, boost and d- new, new fuel mappings, and and um, the car will go faster. It'll burn more fuel, probably pollute a little more. But um, on something like a Tesla, because it's so interconnected with Tesla's, like it's automatic updates and all these other other features, I think if you start hacking it, it's more like your iPhone, where you kind of have to go off the grid and you don't get those updates. You don't. Get all the the new features and the the self driving stuff they keep adding.
1: That's exactly what I understand. It, w- it is what would happen if you tried to hack into the Tesla. Yeah. I know that I get updates every I'm going to say two months, three months, mm-hmm. where I pull in to my garage at my house or my office, and it picks up the internet on its own. It has its own 3G system built in, and once it recognizes that it's on wireless, it puts up a flag on the 17-inch touch touchscreen that says that uh, you've got an update available and it's scheduled to launch at 2:45 a.m. tomorrow morning. Would you like to do it now or later, or what do you want to do? And once it downloads, it's just exactly like when you see that your iPhone is ready for an update. It updates yeah. it and it cha- it adds. Amazing things that you wouldn't think they would change.
0: What is in the, in your ownership? What has changed? What's been happening? Uh,
1: one of the things is that because you don't have an idling engine, uh, you when you're at a stop, if you take your foot off the brake, the car will roll. If you're facing downhill, it'll roll forward. If you're facing uphill, it'll roll backward. And one of the things that came in through this over the air, over the internet, software update was a hill brake where once you step, once you take your foot off the brake. It holds for a full second before you switch to the gas pedal, because otherwise, if you took it off, you'd roll backwards. It has a creep feature, which will simulate that, full, that uh, forward rolling motion in an internal combustion engine. When you take your foot off the brake with an automatic transmission, you'll slowly creep forward. Sure. You can press a button on the 17-inch screen that, that will install creep for you. And you can turn it on and off just like anything else. Well, Steve, can,
2: Steve, did you just say 17-inch screen?
1: Yes.
0: Wow. That's bigger than the first TV
1: I was a kid. <laughs> I was, <I> was <laughs> going to say. It's huge, and everything <laughs> operates from there. You open the sunroof on the car by tapping and then sliding your finger on an icon that looks like the roof of your car, and you can dial it back to 72% open or 41% open or all the way open or vent. And you open and close it. There is no manual control. There, aren't, there are only two buttons on the dashboard. One is to open electrically the glove compartment. The other one is to turn on the emergency flashers. Those are the buttons on the dashboard. Everything else is through the touchscreen, including changing the steering uh, power. You can be comfort or normal or sport for a tighter or looser feel in the steering wheel. Wow. This
0: is... this is, uh, this is the fu- It's the future, right? The future's here.
1: It is truly the future, and... and th- I have yet to find any drawbacks. I have, have yet to find anything about it that would be that I'd say it's better in an internal combustion engine.
0: D- does yours have lane assist yet or is that?
1: No, mine is because mine is over two years old. The hardware wasn't installed for autopilot. But I've driven the new model X with autopilot and a couple of things I can say about that. I was on the freeway and I wanted to change lanes and I turned on the blinker and after a few seconds, the car changed lanes. Oh. I'm hands off the wheel, feet off the pedals. The car is driving itself. That's one. But two, we were on the freeway going 57, 58 miles an hour with the autopilot. And all of a sudden, it heaved on the brakes. And my speed went down to about uh, 40 miles an hour before I mashed the gas pedal because I didn't want to get rear-ended. And the guy riding with us from from the company said, "Yeah, it's you know not quite debugged yet. It sure. must have seen if you quote unquote seen something that caused it to step on the brakes." Right. Yeah. But I've seen that with the uh, adaptive cruise controls in cars I've had before that that can happen as well. You know, the radar out the front and it sees something and throws on the brakes when it didn't when it shouldn't.
0: Yeah, I've wondered about those adaptive cruise controls if, if you know if people would maliciously create something that would cause the car behind them to break you know because, because you if you're in front of them and that adaptive cruise control has a, a radar or whatever it's laser or whatever it's using you could sense that and send back the the information to get it to, to do something else yeah i don't know i don't know how you illegal, do that from but, the
1: car in front but i will tell you it happened i had adaptive cruise control on my previous car the tesla didn't have it when i got it but uh on my previous car and it would I, regularly, I'd say probably one out of every twenty times you use it, it would see something that wasn't there and step on the brake.
0: Yeah, weird. Uh, and so this is uh, Tesla you' you're now you're now a convert. obviously, we've talked about it for a few minutes. Oh, I'm such you're... a convert. <laughs> would you do, want to do four good. hours on it? I'll do four hours on it. <laughs> Tell me about um what did you drive before you got into a Tesla?
1: I had six mercedes Benz S class sedans in a row. We, I bought it, put a bunch of miles on it, sold it, bought another one. And I believed I had just found the car I was going to drive for the rest of my life. Uh, and this is from my childhood experiences. I wanted a big, heavy, quiet, smooth, four-door luxury car. That's what I wanted. And I, I bought my first brand new one when I was 22 years old. So I, it was a commitment. And the Mercedes-Benz S-Class is such a magnificent car I just thought that's what I was going to buy. And I was about to buy the new model, 2014 Model S-class sedan. Had decided everything except the color. I was mm-hmm. about to order it. And then I went and see a client of our law office at his office. When we finished, I, he walked me out to his parking lot. And I said, oh, I see you have a Tesla. This is two and a half years ago mm-hmm. now. So you have a Tesla? He said, yeah, drive it. <laughs> i said i said would well, you like it he says i love it drive it and i said well i i gotta go now but i i'll be happy i'd love to drive it some other time He said no drive it <laughs> so i got in the tesla his tesla <laughs> he, and didn't, he I, didn't
0: press the creep button right no <laughs> no exactly
1: and i i got i got in the tesla in his tesla and i drove it for about 10 minutes and i got out and it was that weekend I was going to go g- order the Mercedes, and I got out completely confused, and instead that weekend went and ordered my Tesla. And my wife had said, it, when, when I was going through it, she, when I finally bought the Tesla, she said, I thought what was going to happen is you're going to be excited, you're going to talk about it, you're going to talk about it, and then you're going to buy the Mercedes. Because <laughs> I've been driving them for 31 years. And so when I bought the Tesla, when I ordered the Tesla, she was blown away. And then I during the th- it took three full months to get it to, to before I, it was my turn to get it, and and during that three months I kept driving up to the Santa Monica Tesla store to sit in Teslas again and again and again while I'm w- I couldn't stop thinking about it before I owned it. And it's got it only like, gotten like, worse. It was
0: like Christmas for you. It was this like yeah. a kid at Christmas. Yeah, and if you'd
1: like to see my wife roll her eyes, just just tell her I want to talk about a Tesla it's she's had it had it with that and with Disneyland I can't talk about Disneyland either
0: I gotta ask this question so so the s-classes you had back in the 80s um, w126 chassis and later ones those are and and I've driven some of those I've owned um, at least one of those 80s uh, Mercedes Um, those are really well-built cars they just mile after mile and yeah that maintenance is expensive when you need it but um, when, when uh, sort of the, the dark ages of, of Mercedes-Benz history, the Daimler Clark, Chrysler era, um, they had all kinds of quality issues, at least according to, you know, if you read J.D. Powers or these people who look at quality, um, did any of that, and I'll say it's sort of in the early 2000s timeframe, did you have quality issues with your Mercedes?
1: Yeah, and here's what happened. It, it, my first one was a 1983, no, 1984, 1984 uh, 300 SD turbo diesel and it was built like a bank vault the doors closed they sounded like a bank vault the car was simple i asked when i first got in it how do you tilt or telescope the steering wheel they said you're not going to we spent years figuring out exactly where to put this steering steering wheel you're not going to move it and that was uh, the answer to anything. Where are the where are the cup holders? There aren't any. You right. shouldn't be thinking about drinking anything a while German you're driving. Car, you're yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Was, Pay attention yeah. <laughs> while you're driving to the driving experience. You don't want to drink coffee. And it, that was really the attitude. And so it was a more Spartan car. It wasn't as luxurious. And by 1987, when I got the the next one, which was a 420 SEL, uh, 4.2 liter small V8. Yep uh they had gone to a little more luxury and the quality was there when I got the 2001 and I bought one 2001 S500 for me one for my wife and uh, the quality was different. The doors had cardboard backing behind the vinyl and the leather was limited and there were there there were I figured out the warranty work that I had done to my uh, brilliant silver, exterior black interior uh 2001 Mercedes total about $16,000 would have cost me right. but it was under warranty I kept asking and finding out what this would cost $16,000 worth in the first 2 years so yeah, yeah there were quality questions and I think what happened is that's about the time that they decided instead of having two or three models in America they were going to have a bunch of models Yep. And they were going to try to capture a lot of different markets, which is what they're doing now. I think they've solved a lot of their quality problems, but they're now, I understand the B-Class, which has only been in Europe. Have you ever seen it? It's, it's a little bit, they have an A-Class yeah, Mercedes, a. which is the size of a smart car, and the B, which is slightly larger, okay? And it's a small, very tall, f- I think kind it seats five people. hatchback SUV a, kind of thing, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. So much, yeah. They're bringing that here all electric, but it'll have a range of 80 miles. Have you seen the,
0: there's a fuel cell version of that A-Class that you see in the South Bay. You see it here.
1: I have not seen that. Okay. Oh, so, the A is here now?
0: Yeah, it's been, avail- or maybe it was the B, but it's a fuel cell okay. version that you could buy from a Mercedes dealer for a couple years now. And the reason is that Mercedes, like North American tech center is local here. And it was just, just like, a, it's a very, again, like the South Bay kind of thing. And there's a hydrogen fueling station in Torrance. Yeah. Um, and so I've seen them on the
1: roads driving around. I have not. I was not aware of that. I've driven yeah. a hydrogen Toyota. I had yeah. that privilege. But no, I have. I didn't know Mercedes had that here.
0: Yeah, it's just again, it just drives like an electric car. Yeah, because it's just the hydrogen fuel cells just generating electricity. You right. Know, rather than plugging it in, you pour some hydrogen in there, which. Always sounds like the uh, you know like t- you the Hindenburg. Yeah, makes you think <laughs> of the makes you think of the H bomb, is what
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> it, Although from what I can tell, they pretty much they they've encapsulated it in a way that it, in the Toyota anyway, where it, it should be relatively crashworthy. I know that's not a reassuring way to phrase that sounds <laughs> Probably, but. <yes. laughs>
0: Okay, Uh, on that note, we're going to take a break, Uh, but when we get back, we're going to talk more with Stephen about electric cars and uh, Mercedes quality.
1: You're listening to Daily Turismo Radio. This week's Blue Glove Tool Review Brought to you by DailyTourismo.com
0: Break out your credit cards And open up your toolbox It's time for a Blue Glove Tool Review Brought to you by DailyTourismo For today's review I want to talk about a item From Harbour Freight Tools the place where you buy a tool and you usually end up fixing it before it works correctly but today is an item that you're not going to work on it's the one and a half ton compact aluminum racing floor jack that has a rapid pump feature uh, it's it's made by the Pittsburgh Automotive, the, the company that makes a bunch of stuff at Harbor Freight. Uh, it's cheap, which is it's always a good thing. It retails around $119. Usually it's on sale for about $90. And you'd be an idiot to not go there with a coupon, okay? Because you can get those 20% off coupon in the back of magazines. And even if you don't sup- subscribe to magazines, because you're a cheapskate, what you do is you head to doctor's offices. You go to uh, urologists and chiropractors and you, you you go into the waiting room, you don't even talk to the reception, you just open up the magazine and sit there, and you pretend like you're waiting for your appointment, and you start going through the back of the magazine, you yank out these 20% off coupons. You get these Harbor Freight coupons, you go there and you buy this aluminum racing jack that'll jack up your car in three and a half pumps, and it's aluminum, so it's lightweight, you can pull it around your garage, you can put it in the back of your car without breaking your back, um, and then you don't have to go to the chiropractor, but you got his coupon anyway. To get this tool, head over over to DailyTourismo.com, click on the Harbor Freight link, and go buy it. But don't worry, we won't tell your wife.
1: Welcome back to daily Turismo radio
0: and we're back we still have Steven from the Steven Spear show on talk radio one with us we've been talking about Tesla's and we've been talking about Mercedes but I want to shift the subject to um, cars that are a little bit maybe less expensive or some cheaper cars and let's let's talk a little bit about Ford LTDs <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have an own one um, I bought a a Ford LTD Landau, brand new. I took delivery on October the 25th, 1974. Wow. And I was 22 years old, and I wanted it for years and years. My parents drove big, heavy, quiet, smooth four-door luxury cars all my childhood, and that was what I wanted. I never wanted a sports car. The Tesla is the smallest car I've ever owned and it's 196 inches yeah. and it's a four-door <laughs> sedan Sedan, that's right? Yeah, right. Exactly <laughs> class sedan, yeah. and so and so that's what I wanted and that's and I I had driven LTDs in the past and just wanted one for several years and finally uh was able to get one so I got one and I still and, own it and and so uh what color what it's dark brown. The color that Ford called it was ginger glow. It has a dark brown vinyl roof. Wow. Vinyl roofs, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> for those of you born in the last half century. we used to be, it was a vinyl sheeting that would go over the roof of the car. And it was considered decorative. It didn't serve a particular purpose. Um, and it, it, the car has been garaged for all 41, going on 42 years I've owned it. So the vinyl roof is original and it still looks good. Wow, there's no rust bubbling from underneath it? There's one little rust bubble that's coming up on one little panel that's just starting just a little bit, so I'm going to have to figure out what to do about that.
0: Yeah, well, I I had a a Landau top on an old Cadillac, a a Coupe de Ville that I had many years ago, and and I remember seeing, like, this start... Start to bubble and kind of pressing on it and kind of hearing these rust bubbles pop from underneath. you am like, "Oh, that's 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 not, that's good. not good." Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah. I've always thought there should be like an injection, like a kit you could get that you could inject some you know rust killer into and it fix but... it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I this was uh, this car has been garaged all those years and and well maintained and this has been a West Coast car all the time, so it's right. never been exposed to snow at all. And so, what which engine is in? This that is one? the 400. It's two barrel. It's carbureted. Course, yeah okay it was just the first year that they uh, had unleaded gasoline burning in cars so unleaded gas first time 1975 and um, it had an auxiliary gas tank in the trunk that holds an extra 8.2 gallons so you can fit when you fill it up it's like 30 33 gallons of gasoline because wow. we had the gas crisis uh, and and in 1973 where you had long gasoline lines mm-hmm. and people were fighting they were having fist fights in gas stations over who would get gas one guy during the gas crisis is 73 in the san fernando valley here in los angeles pulled in and the the they said you can't get gas today because you're an odd numbered right. license plate instead of even numbered he pulled out a gun and said fill my car and paid for the gas and left (laughs) this was not a robbery this was a purchase a A gunpoint purchase so the car had he probably became governor later on yeah (laughs) probably probably that's right he's probably one of the many people running for president now that's That's right so he he so so this had an auxiliary gas tank so you could put 33 gallons in it and you would not you'd have a longer range right it still has likely less range than the Tesla. Oh, well, <laughs> you know it does now because it probably when it was in 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 its early days it probably got 22 miles per gallon wow. on the highway. It was a three-speed transmission. It was before four speeds were invented in production passenger cars for automatics and uh and now it's probably it probably gets 11 miles to the gallon. It's got 215,000 yeah, miles on it.
0: Well, and and um the Uh, A lot of those older cars with carburetors, I've heard they don't like the ethanol so much, and that sometimes you might get, um, if you can, there are states where you can buy gasoline that doesn't have as much ethanol, where you're supposed to get better fuel economy if you don't have the ethanol in it. Interesting. Now, I don't know if that's just a a, a rumor, it's just some anti-ethanol people, you know, the anti-corn lobbyists at it, but... there's some yeah, i prefer my corn that. and my food yeah. rather <laughs> yes, than my yes. gasoline <laughs> i'm not quite sure how powerful the corn lobby is these days either <laughs> yeah we're well, not going to say anything bad about the corn lobby because no <laughs> we don't want we don't we don't need that kind of pressure
1: no exactly uh, <laughs> we i mean we we want them as sponsors yeah right yeah. yes
0: right absolutely yeah we, we'll drink some corn syrup in the studio no, right, no yes. problem um but uh those cars um the, 70s, um, the early 70s, cars were making a lot of horsepower, um, but by the late 70s, cars were making no horsepower and low compression. Um, but 75 probably still had decent compression.
1: It did, and I had fewer problems with smog devices because it went to unleaded, so they cut back on some of the breather restrictors, yeah, and so the right. car really performed very well. Uh, I had the choice of three engines, the 352, I think it was, or the 400. Or the 460, which was the big Lincoln oh, yeah, right. engine, which would have been a four-barrel carburetor, and uh, I, I picked the middle one. I picked yeah. the middle one, which is plenty of power. I'm not, you know, I bought the slowest Tesla, as I said. I'm not right. I'm <laughs> not trying to get there any faster.
0: No, that um, that LTD, uh, that sounds like a fantastic car, and that's right down the alley of, of most of the people who read Deli Turismo. and, and uh, we feature cars like that all the time, because they're. Um, uh, they're they sort of inexpensive ways to get into a a cool car that's that's interesting that has you know these crazy brown paint jobs. You know nobody makes interesting colored cars anymore. No,
1: it's all and the, all the cars are designed by the wind tunnel, so most of them look very much alike. Right,
0: except for the the headlights, which now look like some sort of sculpted hideous cat eyes or something. There, right? They're, they've gotten out of control. The headlights. Right. Well, and this cat has lights.
1: the hidden headlights. Oh, the LTV right, has yeah. the hidden headlights, so that. But there's a there's a, a vacuum leak that nobody can seem to fix. So when you park the car, they're closed, and then <laughs> one of them starts it, winking it at you, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then they're both open. Well, no, they're spring loaded to be open if anything malfunctions. So you've got right. headlights. Right. So it's the it's the vacuum pressure that keeps the lids closed. So the leak causes them to be open when it's parked. But you start them, and you hear them close when you're sitting in the driver's seat. Clunk, clunk,
0: oh, clunk. Well, oh, that's uh, and. Uh, hidden headlights are, are something that I, I I like a car with hidden headlights. And, and I don't know if you remember the Opals, but there was this Opal GT where yeah. both headlights flip the same direction. Right. And, and it's just kind of uh, it's a shame that hidden headlights, and I know it's for aerodynamics and for fuel economy reasons. but
1: Yeah, because when they're open, it's kind of a scoop, a flat yeah. scoop that's yes. taking airs and a flat-fronted thing. So, no, that's a problem. And one other thing I don't think they thought of is that when you're driving at night, if you pick up insects on the headlights and then the doors are closed, and you go to the car wash, you never wash the headlights. Right, right. So it'd turn out like every year or so, I think, to open the headlights, and, cl- and the you know the headlights are covered with mm, things that, bugs, were, yeah. you know, that you didn't get taken off in a car I wash. Never,
0: I never thought about that. I, I
1: did neither until I found it one time. I,
0: I do like the fact that on old cars uh, with glass headlights, you never have to worry about that yellowing. No, right. That There's no just, plastic. The, and, and I'm guessing on your Mercedes, I'm guessing if you had them for more than a couple of years, you experienced that, where one day you look at your car and you say, why does this thing look old?
1: Yeah, I actually, in one of them that we kept for a long time, the 87 model, had little windshield wipers on the mm-hmm. headlights, yep. and, and that car we kept, and I gave to my younger son, and he drove it for years and years and years. I think he just sold it three or four years ago. It was an 87 model, and um, uh, we replaced the plastic Cowling on the headlights for exactly that reason in probably the late nineties.
0: Yeah, and it's um it's also interesting when you get to that sort of eighties range where you can find um the European headlights they they had a different headlight standard. Yes, and they had real glass on their headlights, and uh, sometimes you'll see those retrofitted onto the U.S. cars. Even though it's not, it's probably not DOT legal. No, but it's, uh, and
1: you also saw it in the eighties on the gray market Mercedes that were brought yeah. here illegally. Yep. Uh, To get a discount on them and they all you could you could see a lot of differences and that was one of them the headlight configuration and Then the uh, air conditioning controls in the dashboard instead of being push-button and vacuum controlled uh, with with uh, Electromagnetic servos on them. They were wire controlled so you'd be turning knobs that would pull and push wires to open yeah. and close vents.
0: So, so what is your feeling about um, touch screen controls for like vents and ACs? Because the Tesla has that, right? You've yes. got touch screen?
1: Yes. It's all touch screen for everything, so including uh, including vent controls and what have you. On you, the Tesla, it works as reliably and as steadily and as consistently as your iPhone does. Right. Which means on rare occasions, you need to reboot, you know, you get a mm-hmm. freeze or something. In two years, I've probably had three freezes. So it's not often, it's not a problem, it's not an issue. I just re- do a hard reset, and, and you can do that while you're driving down the street. It doesn't affect the operation of the car. Outside of that very minor diversion, it it works perfectly, and it's effortless, and it's all right there in the same reach when I reach out to the screen, and it can control everything. Different windows pop yeah, up and open.
0: That's um, It's it's one of the things that um, I... I, I personally like having a, um, a, a a switch of some kind, or a uh, you know, like a um, something you can put your hand on, so you don't take your eyes off the road. But the idea of that seventeen-inch monitor, you probably can see it from your periphery. I don't. You know.
1: can. I will tell you, you you make a very good point, Vince, because in the Mercedes, I would have in the last one in my two thousand seven five hundred and fifty, on the center console, a little flip would open up, and then I would have I'd be able to touch the buttons, physical buttons to dial the telephone. And being a lawyer, when I'm in my car, I'm on my phone during the business day, and so I'm making one phone call after another, and I could keep my eyes on the road and do whatever I need to do, change lanes or whatever I was doing while I am dialing with my right hand. I'm steering with my left hand. I'm dialing with my right hand on the buttons, and I can feel the the button position so I can dial. Sure. With the tesla i've got to look at it because there are no actual buttons they're virtual buttons on the telephone screen so that is a drawback and i think it's a safety consideration and
0: um isn't there voice activated can't you tell it to dial a number and
1: yes you could do that absolutely and i should (laughs) should. i should (laughs) yes i i must remember to do that yes i should
0: (laughs) yeah it's uh, technology it's gonna it's gonna change us and honestly, once the cars become more self-driving then that becomes a, not an issue at all. so it's and it's, it's yeah. honestly those self-driving cars you know Google's got one Apple's got one they're they're coming they're
1: coming and they're coming soon. This isn't fifty years away. this no. isn't twenty years away at the most, this is ten years away, but we're already seeing it with Tesla, mercedes Benz and a couple of others that are really, they have effective autopilot that you, right. you still have to pay attention and watch because it might throw the brakes on unexpectedly sure. or might make a mistake, but it's awfully good. It's awfully good.
0: Okay, then, so here's a question, and this is something that's been, I've been bouncing around in my head, and, and now that I have a, a person who's with a law background, this is great because I can ask this question to someone who might be able to answer it. Um, what happens from, a, like, a liability perspective when a self-driving car gets in an accident, hits somebody, you know, and and, and it's going to happen, right?
1: The answer is nobody knows. And that's because the liability or absence of liability is going to be based on laws that have not even been proposed yet, let alone passed. And even when those laws are passed, it will still take another decade or two to work enough lawsuits through the system to plug the holes in the law. Whenever you have a law passed by a state legislature or by Congress, you then test it in the courts where people are in lawsuits and they argue that law A applies but right. exception B applies, and those annotations appear in the law, and you end up with a an evolved law. So it takes – we pretty much understand clearly the First Amendment now because we've had it since the formation of the country, and we pretty much understand a lot of different laws now. Sure. But there are laws that are that are changing. So every time you hear that the Supreme Court makes a new decision, you get a flurry of lawsuits because people are questioning, well, does it mean, we understand this, but does it mean that? And so that's what's going to happen with autopilot cars. It's going to take another five to 10 years before we really have a, a tremendous number of autopilot cars on the road. It's going to take 20 to 30 years before we have really clear legal understandings. I right. do and believe that insurance companies, though, are going to really favor this. It's sure. going to become much more expensive if you want to pilot your own car.
0: Yeah. And the the um, I, I read, I forget where I read it, but I read an interesting um, discussion about how uh, there are going to be times when the car is going to have to make the decision between um, injuring the driver and injuring like a pack of school children at yeah. the crosswalk. Yeah. And that the decision isn't made by the car then, the decision is made by programmers. Upstream, correct, right, Back correct. In the Design process because they designed it, and so some of the 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 implications for auto manufacturers is huge because today you know people um, each l- l- driver
1: makes the choice, r-
0: right, and even like even though like um, for instance today the um, the gun uh, manufacturers and sellers are now being sued for 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 you know, crimes that have been committed with those guns
1: or the cigarette makers for injuries caused by cigarettes which when used correctly kill.
0: Right, correct. But it's, um, so I I kind of wonder about how conservative will automakers be about allowing this full autopilot mold, knowing that they're now opening themselves up to this huge potential liability when the laws aren't clear and all these other things.
1: I don't think that they're going to have to worry about it because what's going to happen is there's going to be, first of all, such demand for this that they will want to produce these cars. And then The automakers, as a group, through all of their associations, have very strong lobbying powers. They will then make sure that they're insulated by going to Congress and various state legislatures. Then there'll be a backlash from the public when there is no liability, and that's where those laws will then change and evolve in those lawsuits. That's the process. That's how it'll work. You'll start out at one wall. You'll slowly move toward the other wall. You'll end up with something in the middle, which some people would call an excellent compromise, and others will call a mishmash of sure. foolishness, depending on which side of the lawsuit you're on.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, so so it sounds to me like the advice is is if you you want to make money in the next decade or so, as you and you're a lawyer, you should get into the uh, automotive <laughs> liability.
1: <laughs> you know, probably there's going to be a lot of business there. There's probably going to be a lot of business, which won't that won't be good for society as lawsuits generally are not good for sure. society, but eventually we'll get better cars as a result, and probably a whole lot fewer injuries and deaths.
0: Yeah, the, the, the concept of, of um, you know, the, the idea of um, allowing, you know, uh, drunk driving, right? The people talking about, you know, people getting killed by drunk drivers all the time. Um, if you have self-driving cars, in theory, it, it pulls a lot of those guys off the road because their cars drive now. Yeah. So it's it's no, a no-brainer.
1: The, you, uh, yes. And it's going to be – and the old people who lose yep. their freedom because they can't drive won't sure. lose their freedom. And people who are injured, people who are blind, people who, for a variety of reasons, can't drive cars now will be able to be passengers in their own cars or in shared cars, sure. which is another thing. You're going to have a massive change in the number of cars on the road because you won't need as many because you'll have shared cars. And we, you'll have tremendous the, – the people who are today get six months vacation twice a year because they own parking lots where they charge tremendously, you won't have as many parked cars because cars will go somewhere else or, or take someone somewhere else and when you need it, you'll call it.
0: Right, like Night Rider, he'll get out his watch, and he'll call a car, and it'll drive to him.
1: I think Kit, that's exactly... I'm going to name my car Kit
0: for sure. There's no doubt in my mind I'm going to have a Trans Am that's going to drive itself, and it's going to be
1: Kit. That's exactly what should happen, no doubt about <laughs> that's it. That's
2: about the only way I'm going to let my kids drive when they're
1: teenagers, too. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. And all, you're going to be asking their friends, like, hey, do you have a self-driving car? Yeah. Ask me the first question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: yeah, who's driving, you or the car?
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh okay um uh, here's a uh, a word from one of our sponsors um hey dt radio listeners i want to tell you a little bit about our new sponsor european motorworks i know you fans remember hearing george rodriguez on the show in the past and he's not only a great guest but he's the owner operator of a great shop in hawthorne california at european motorworks they specialize in type one and type two for volkswagen motors i mean they literally have a a ton of castings laying around just around their shop. Uh, But not only can you get any part for any Volkswagen, um, he can get you any part for any foreign car, not just European manufacturers, but anything from Asia as well. Um, Maybe even North Korea. Uh, (laughs) And if you ask Nice, uh, he can meet you wherever you may need some domestic, whatever you may need for domestic junkers as well. And if you're in SoCal, visit him at his shop in Hawthorne or call him at 310-644-8048. Uh, or for his or uh, for um, on the web at europeanmotorworks.com and again that's 310-644-8048 or europeanmotorworks.com and tell him that DT Radio sent you To Daily Turismo Radio. Hey, Motorheads, this is Vince, and I'm still here with Steven Spearer from the Steven Spearer Show on Talk Radio 1. Uh, and we were just talking about the sort of the liability aspects of um, uh, self driving cars. Uh, and and Steven, you were just saying that the self driving cars, it, it's going to happen because honestly, my initial thoughts on this was that the liability aspect was just too great from the auto manufacturers.
1: Right, and they're gonna. What they're gonna do instead is they'll have their lobbyists set up laws that, that give them complete immunity, f- and that'll be where it'll start. Then somewhere along the line, there's gonna be some horrible, terrible, tragic accident that's gonna make a terrible story. The press will pick it up. It'll gain momentum, and that is how law will get modified to hold different people responsible or to have greater insurance requirements or whatever it would be.
0: Right, and then our insurance rates should all go down. I should just everyone. Insurance will be almost free because <laughs> yeah, of these cars. Right?
1: Yeah, well, they should go down, except they won't. They'll, the insurance companies will make more money. That's <laughs> what will happen. <laughs> right. <You're> not...
0: <laughs> right, sorry, insurance companies. I'd completely forgotten about the whole industry. It's right, exactly. <laughs> that's that's in my the... mind.
1: uh In fact, we were going to try to get some
0: of them to be sponsors because <laughs> they have so much extra cash. After the <laughs> remark
1: I just made, you're going to have to wait a while.
0: <laughs> that, that goes for a lot of people. We, 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 we like to upset the corn industry, the insurance industry. This is just that we're going to... Greatest hits. I, I had five
2: sponsors lined up, Vince, and now they're all gone. <laughs> I can't get anyone to return a phone call now.
1: Yeah, especially the corn insurance people.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> don't people like to be berated on the air? This is like the, the point of a radio show, so I can tell people that they're wrong, right? So right, the,
1: exactly. Give them some they attention.
0: They don't get it. They don't get it. Okay. Um, all right, so now we're going to transition to something that's called the 10-second car review. This okay. Something that we we do with our guests. Um, i mean, it to ask you, um, it's a, your gut instinct, your, your initial reaction to a particular car. And the, the hypothesis is that you'll take 10 seconds and okay, if it's a car you like, you might take
1: longer or you might take shorter. I'm probably going to take longer. My mother always said, generally speaking, Steven is generally speaking. Okay. So <laughs> I, it could take a little longer. It's a, <laughs>
0: Sounds w- like a military
2: term. W- well, we'll see if you can break the record because I think we had one guest that I think got through two cars. I think out of two cars, two, two, two yeah, out of yeah, ten, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, we had, we had yeah it was time. a 15-minute, 10-second car review segment, <laughs> and you got the two cars.
0: <laughs> two cars. <laughs> time, 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 compresses when, when you're going really fast. I guess. So yes, we're gonna imagine that. Okay, so the first car, um, 1953 Buick Roadmaster.
1: That was my. It's a great car. My father, uh, my father owned one. He bought it new in 1953. It was green. Now this was when they had two-tone cars. So it had a lighter green on the body and a darker green on the roof. and it was a four-door uh, sedan. and it was a V8 and it was a it was a great automobile. It was his and then my mom's, and they owned it for 10 years, 53 to 63.
0: Wow, and that was back when you replaced a car every couple of years, right?
1: Yeah, and they didn't. They kept, they, what they would do is my dad would drive it for five years, then he'd get a new one and give it to my mom, and she'd drive it for five years, and that's how that happened. So they bought a 53, and then a 58, and then wow. a 63. And, and these were a bunch of roadmasters. The, the 53 was a roadmaster, the 58 was a roadmaster. In 1963, he bought a Chrysler New Yorker, hmm. which. Was because he had had a Plymouth back in the 40s and he thought he'll try another one of those. So, Chrysler New Yorker, which he just hated, was <laughs> a push button transmission, the square steering wheel had a square oh, yeah, steering a wheel, pull. push button torque flight transmission, 413 cubic inch, four barrel carburetor on the 63 Chrysler New Yorker. It's a know, wonderful what, o- car.
0: Oddly enough, that's the second car on my list. What, okay. Chrysler 63 Chrysler New Yorker is perfect. perfect. So you kind of already uh, you've already reviewed that one.
1: So my yeah, my dad had it for 1 year cuz he didn't keep it for his 5 cuz he hated it. He went back and bought another Buick. Now they were called Electra, Buick Electra 225 in 64 and then in 69 when I turned 16, he got a 69 Buick Electra. My mother got the 64 Buick Electra and I got the 1963 Chrysler as my first car. <laughs> that's my <laughs> so, first so, so then
0: so then is it a thumbs up or a thumbs down on a 63
1: you know what record? i loved it. it that transmission was flawless the push buttons i thought were fun um the car was a big heavy quiet smooth four-door luxury mm-hmm. car so it fit that bill sure. and it had power windows and power seats and and you know you didn't have a lot more features than radio and a heater but no air conditioning no cruise control. Um, and no power door locks, but it was it was great, and it was a very heavy car. I think that car uh, weighed f- uh, over 5,000 pounds, if I remember correctly. Oh. And so, but it was it was it was terrific, smooth on the freeway.
0: Uh, you, you know it's funny? People talk about the the power options in these old cars from the 50s and 60s, and power windows, power brakes, power doors. But if you actually own one of those cars today, you're gonna want the stripper model. Because the crank window still works, yeah, and the power window, it's gonna be one of those things where you know, as you're turning it down, you know, if you're rolling yours down, you tell the passenger, "Don't touch your button,"
1: (laughs) because it's gonna blow a fuse. That's right. The the Edsel, when it came out uh, in the '50s, was a gadget-filled car, and it was, and and I remember as a child in the '60s hearing that you don't want all those extra features. Don't order them. They're just more things to break because they were very unreliable. No car clock worked for more than a year after the car was manufactured and power windows broke, power seats, power door locks, everything broke and it didn't work. Now of course it's a different thing. Everything sure. works and those things have been figured out. But back then it was a it was an issue.
0: Yeah, and the consumer's ex- expectation is so different. I mean, it's it's yes. uh amazing what you expect when you get into a modern car and yeah and, and i i tend to drive cars that are a good 10 or 15 or, or 20 years old on a regular basis that's kind of my i i, I enjoy it i enjoy working on them. i enjoy fixing <laughs> these little things but man i spend a lot of time like under the hood <laughs> and under you know yeah. on a, under a lift trying to figure out okay what's going on with the suspension component or why doesn't this thing work
1: yeah no it, it it's true you have in the older cars you had a different expectation as you say and it was wor- it was important because the cars just didn't work as well. The cheapest, least expensive economy cars today operate more reliably in every regard than Cadillac, which was the standard of the world, right. did in 1940s, 50s, or 60s.
0: Right, and they're faster too. That that's the funny part too. They perform yes. better too. And they yes. turn better. Yes, so that's very yeah. When technology. you get
1: in a car, when you get in my LTD, and you drive it. You, if you're if you haven't driven an older car, if you've been driving more recent cars, you get in and it feels like something's loose like the steering <laughs> is loose, the brakes are loose, you step on it and it doesn't stop. Right. You really have the sensation because because cars were just looser. There was mm-hmm. it was not unusual in a 1950s car to have a tremendous amount of play in the steering wheel where you could turn the steering wheel back or forth quite a bit and make no difference in the direction of the car, where today's cheapest cars, uh, when you turn the wheel a bit, it responds instantly, and if it doesn't, it's because something's broken.
0: Right, right. Okay, so let's talk about a car that's a little sportier, and I'm going to throw this one to you and see your reaction. Uh, Porsche 911.
1: Uh, My law partner, my law and business partner, got his first Porsche 911 in 1980 one or two or three 83 or four It was 83 or 84 and and I, it's never drawn my attention I, they're great cars he loves them he drives a porsche carrera cabriolet now mm-hmm. and a four-wheel drive and because he's in denver as as one of his cars but he but but other than those experiences of riding frankly in other people's cars I don't have. I, I've driven them a few times, but they're small. They're they're sports cars, and that's not right. me. Okay. That that's that's this is a, this is the ten second car review. I like that.
0: <laughs> it's your it's your answer. It's not it's not my answer. Okay. Uh, so here's an easy one. We probably talked about this, but um, a 1983 Mercedes Benz S Class.
1: Yeah, and that's the turbo diesel. It was actually '84, as I think about it. It was a, a, a turbo diesel, and it was magnificent. It was the first and last diesel car that I had I driven diesel buses when I drove buses and but but this is the first car and and the water separators are so perfect in the Mercedes that it was completely reliable it was flawless it was consistent there were no troubles with it at all Compared with, for example, the American diesels in the '80s, the, when they brought them in Cadillacs and yeah, Oldsmobiles, very they took a gasoline engine and they just converted it to run on diesel, which didn't really help anything. And so it was there was a there was a problem from that re- in that regard, but it was not a uh, there was the the Mercedes was perfect. There was no there were no flaws in it at all.
0: Okay, uh, the next car. Um BMW
1: 750 IL. Uh, uh, One of my business partners and our accountant drives one. Close friends of ours in Pennsylvania drive one. I know several other people that drive them. They love them. Love them. Plenty of, because of the IL, you have plenty of Uh backroom seat space, just like in the S-Class. No complaints. I think if I were to compare three cars, I would say that the Lexus... Uh, LS 400L would be the car you'd want if you want the softest, smoothest ride, not the best handling. Okay. On the other extreme would be the BMW 7 Series, the IL with the, the ultimate driving machine mm-hmm. it's going to handle. And in the middle, I'm going to put the Mercedes-Benz S-Class as having most of the ride of the Lexus and, the, and most of the handling of the BMW. That's the Goldilocks, the one <laughs> right. that's right in the middle.
0: Okay, yeah, good. Um, all right, so we have time for another car. The well, last car is, um, I'm going to throw an oddball at here, Ford
1: Pinto. Um, they used to explode upon <laughs> rear impact. I think that's probably their biggest drawback. Uh, I drove in Ford Pintos at the time. I rode in them a number of different times. They were a very practical economy car. Uh, they were reliable because they were Ford. They were economical. Uh, they the 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 problem with the with that had been known to Ford engineers that resulted in a nine hundred million dollar verdict that was then reduced uh, in in by the judge uh, was punishment because they knew that the gas tank where it was positioned would explode on rear impact in many cases and they decided that they could have an affordable number of deaths that way and that it wasn't worth it economically. To change that for safety reasons. A lot of that has changed. That sounds
0: a lot like the General Motors key switch issue that very recently.
1: More recently, but they have, what they've done is they've figured out that that doesn't work very well, and they get reminded every so often by the court system that it's not a very good idea in the long run.
0: Acceptable number of deaths and in like because in it actually right. showed up in like internal communications. Yeah,
1: an acceptable number of deaths. Well, I think what happens is if you're in the military and you're you're in war, mm-hmm. and you're going to take territory and defeat the opposing army, you do talk that way, and you have to talk that so it's way. Collateral damage, right? Because yeah. you're going to yeah, you're going to have death, and it's going to be a part of it, and you can't win without people dying. And when you're making a choice as to whether your people will die or their people will die, and you know you'll lose some of your people, if you can make enough progress, you make a military decision. Sure. I think when that is applied to the manufacture of automobiles, it's sinful. It's wrong, it's yeah, this as bad as it gets because you're not balancing saving lives and, and, and defeating evil regimes to make the world safe. What you're only talking about is profit. And I'm a capitalist. I'm all for profit, <laughs> but not at the cost of lives.
0: Yeah, that sounds like something they would do in, like, communist China or Russia or something. Yeah, it yeah. Like a...
1: Now, on the other extreme, if, if you, you could build an airplane that would be crash-proof, you wouldn't, nobody would die in a plane crash, but it would cost ten times as much as a current airplane, and it would carry one passenger, it would be the size of a 747. And you could do it, but it wouldn't be... It, 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 you can't. So there is a there is some level where that decision needs to be made, right. but not the way the car, not the way the Pinto manufacturer did.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, do you think that the uh, are you familiar with with the story of the Corvair and the whole the
1: oh whole Nader sure thing? Um, Yeah, unsafe at any speed. Ralph Nader, the lawyer. Right.
0: Now, now my own uh, personal theory as a as a and I'm, I'll admit I'm a Corvair enthusiast. I I, I love them. Um, I think that that they, they got uh, just an absolute. Um, it was a it was a hit job. It, was. Suffered because of it it.
1: did. It was a rear engine car, which means you had to drive it differently or right. it could spin out. And so that had to be learned by the people who were going to drive it. It was a poor job by Chevrolet of educating people that that difference was there. And then a poor job in responding to Ralph Nader yeah. when he when he did this. <laughs> it was all done very badly. But it, it what it did, it had a much longer range effect of suppressing innovation. by american car manufacturers and that all happened in the 50s and 60s and as a result they lost the world lead in the 70s because they retarded innovation and europe over europe and japan overtook them in car creativity
2: so is it fair to say that ralph nader really caused that that, yes
1: and then he ran for president he was a guy who thought he could (laughs) run for president
0: he I've, did that a few times. <laughs> he did it a few yeah. times.
1: Yeah, I think Ralph Nader did no one a service by doing this. He did himself a service. He made a career and a name for himself. But I don't think he did the public any benefit.
0: No, the the if you look at the direction, and, and the Corvair, Corvair was a revolutionary car. Absolutely. You know, the, the engine in the back. Air-cooled. Yeah, and it was a flat six. I mean, it sounds yeah. a lot like a Porsche 911. Yeah. And then you look at it, and all of a sudden, like that whole like uh, going into the late 60s and early 70s, uh, every American car understeered at the limit, you know, so so that when you when you turn and and if you're you know if you're going through a turn too fast, what happens? The front end pushes off the road rather right. than the back end coming out. Yeah, um, and that was sort of done as a response to the the complaints that okay, if you were driving the Corvair into a turn quickly, and, and this is the first generation, they'd fix the the handling and the suspension by the second generation. By the time all the stuff became public if you drove into a turn and lifted off the throttle, the back end would come out. And yes. That's what's going to happen that's, with a Volkswagen Beetle. That's what's going to happen with a with Any a rear Fiat, engine. Yeah, an old, an old Fiat 500. Sure. So it's... Um, and that's why you like it, isn't it Vince? Well, that's why I <laughs> So so I and I appreciate, you know, uh 1975s in fact my parents had a 77 LTD. I have fond memories of this this sky blue uh LTD sedan. Love that's it. That's
1: the color I almost got too. The 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 it was between this ginger glow, the brown and that blue, that metallic blue.
0: Yeah. But but, but at the same time I'm more of a like a um uh, a, a handling, you know, kind of a a, a portion. And okay, right right now there's a Buick Roadmaster <laughs> yeah, outside, <laughs> which is why you drive the Roadmaster. Roadmaster, but the other car is this. <laughs> I have this Subaru, this STI, that's this got this turbocharged engine, all-wheel drive, and there's it has no traction control aids at all. So y- when you drive it, you're in control of everything. There's there's not even there's the only thing that stops the car's wheels from spinning out is your right right foot. Yeah, so, it's a. Uh, um, uh, and, and, you know, we're all different. Everyone's different. And to me, it's just a shame that the um, the sort of the fun-to-drive aspects of this Corvair was sort of crushed out. And
1: It was, and so was straight. innovation. Do we have time for me to ask you a car question? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Mazda Rotary engine. Yes. Was it a good idea that didn't turn out well, or was it a bad idea to begin with?
0: You know, the, the Rotary gives you a... Um, it, it, are you familiar with two-stroke engines that yes. you see in like a, a weed whacker or, or yes. a, a motorcycle with
1: a separate crank with, with not with a separate crankcase with oil mixed into the gasoline Correct and
0: right. so um a a rotary operates very in very similar fashion to a two-stroke okay, in that it's a compact power unit okay it's a smaller engine lighter engine okay and it um uh, it doesn't have valves these okay, neither one have valves. And it
1: was unidirectional action instead of oppositional action like a piston right, engine. So it, so it struck me as a good idea.
0: Yes. Now, the, the problem comes with, and, and there's a similar problem with two strokes, but it's different. But the problem comes with a rotary in something called an apex seal. Okay, and it's the way... In a piston engine, you have a, what's called a piston ring. It's this round thing, and it seals the combustion chamber from the crankcase, from where all the oily bits are spinning around in in oil and and, and uh, oil vapor. So, in a in a rotary engine, you need to have these face seals. Needs some, something called an apex seal, and it seals the combustion chamber. hey. Okay? and with a a piston ring, the amount of technology to get us from I'll say. 1850s level of ceiling technology to you know 1950s or even 1990s or even 2015, the amount of money and time that the engineers have spent on that is is tr- tremendous. It's probably greater than the, than the GDP of, of, of you know uh, Greece. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. everything <laughs> is. Our right. yeah. 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 lunch is going to cost more than the GDP of Greece. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. But um, so so people have spent all this problem fi- all this time fixing this problem but with the rotary you had um so if it was NSU and then and then Mazda were the two people who who and Wankel um Felix Wankel worked for NSU it it became a part of Audi in the 60s um, the rotary was only given uh, you know a 1 100th one if not less if 1 1000th one of the amount of time and energy for solving this fundamental how do you seal the 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 combustion chamber from everything else okay and so the result is Never got past that, so it always um, it, it had in the I'll say in the 70s it had the reliability of something from the 50s, and in the 90s it had the reliability of something from the 70s. Gotcha. And so it, it always had fuel economy issues um, because of, again, again, part of the the issue with the amount of combustion chamber that's exposed to heat, and and um, and you always had to deal with these oil sealing issues, and it always burned oil. So there's um, if the rotary had come out. In 1850 or 1870, whenever Daimler and, and Benz, these guys were, these German guys were working on their engine. Yeah. If they had designed it then, we'd probably be driving rotaries. Right. And you say this would be, engine, be inherently
1: this. more efficient than a piston engine.
0: Well, it, again, I don't, I think that there's a We never actual, found out so, because it. Uh, from a thermal efficiency perspective, I think the internal combustion engine does have an advantage in terms of the um, area. So this is, I'm getting very technical here. <laughs> no, I said, the, is very proud of you right now, the, Vince. It's the amount of. <laughs> We call it wetted area. It's the amount of um, combustion like work area versus the amount of area that's just waste heat. Okay. And so when, when you're dealing with a, um, a combustion engine, there are um, ideal ratios of how much of your combustion chambers is doing work versus how much heat is just allowing heat to escape into the universe. Okay. Because all that escaped heat is just wasted energy. Right. And a rotary tends to put out a lot of waste heat. Gotcha. And so they talk about a rotary engine being—it's got the power of a V6 and the um, the fuel economy of a V8, right? With the 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 um,
1: the torque of an inline four. Got it. And so it
0: it's this—it's it, an oddball, and I would love to have them. Be, it would
1: just take a hundred years to. To, to have to evolve it to a point where it could really compete.
0: Right. And and Mazda really gave it the old uh, college try. I mean the graduate school, they 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 put, you know, that thing through a post back program. Yeah. Okay. They they really tried to make the the rotary work. And um uh, I've never owned a rotary, but I've driven them and, and they're they they sound interesting. Again, they sound cool. They're different. They they make all this weird noise. But um in in the end, it was just a um it, it was a, It was a good try, but uh, there's you know there's other things coming, right? There's all these hybrid cars and, and other things happening. Right. Um, <laughs> one, one more question. go ahead. Okay,
1: I got one more question. We talked about we talked about Tesla and electric cars. So the question is, I know all the manufacturers now all of them are running to make electric cars and get them to market. Are we on a track where in five or ten or 20 years, we're going to see really the substantial demise of internal combustion engines replaced by electrical motors in cars, or no?
0: In the next five years, my opinion is no. Um, and, and part of it is that the, the amount of transportation infrastructure that's gasoline-based is just, um, it's, it's tremendous. And, and if you looked at the, the, um, the amount of energy you can pour through a gasoline nozzle, it's like the equivalent of like that. All the wires coming out of that power plant couldn't supply the amount of energy you could put into a tank when you when you turn that gas pump on. And so electric cars are going to displace. Um, they're going into fleets, right? Police will pr- probably start driving them. Um, what's odd is that ambulances and fire trucks still use like like I'll say ancient technology. Mm-hmm. That they're sort of exempt from emissions laws. There's all kinds of right. like the freight industry, like uh, freight trains. Right. They're also exempt from emissions laws for some bizarre reason. But um, so. Th- it's, but you'll see it in like um, uh, meter-made vehicles and, and, and weird applications of purely electric vehicles, and and they'll figure out how to get them to drive all day and and charge at night, and and they'll 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 make it happen, and um, you'll have some economy car ones. Tesla will be successful with their with their Model Three, but if it's going to be in the next ten years, if it gets to twenty five percent market penetration, again, this is my my sort of gut feeling, they'll they'll be lucky, and. A big part of it is the, um, okay, you know, i got to drive from here to there, and I, I want to drive farther away, and there's the range anxiety. And, and people will get over that because most of the time you don't need to drive 200 no. miles. You just need to drive 10 miles oh, yeah. and back Oh, The
1: electricity is a non-issue in the Tesla. Yep.
0: Um, and so I think that what's, to me, what's going to hold it back is just the um, the cost. And at the end of the day, the consumer comes... the infrastructure. Comes, well, and then the cost of the vehicle as well. Okay. okay. So if you... Um, uh, if you live in an apartment, say you don't have a place to charge your charge your electric car, it's just a, it's a it's a no, it's a no, it's a no. no that's right, right. And I'd say in Southern California, half the people live in some yeah. situation where yeah. they don't have a place to charge every night, yeah. right. And even if you did, if you now have okay, say you have two cars now, right, your wife's car and your car, okay, so we're gonna charge both of them if you don't have room for for in a garage, right. Um, so. They're going to come and they're going to eventually displace the internal combustion engine. But if we don't have another 50 years of IC engines in some fashion, and, and they'll get smaller, they'll run, they'll generate the battery. Um, but I just don't see um, it displacing it because as as it displaces it. Uh, the demands on gasoline should go down. The price of gas should drop. And so all of a sudden that that economic equation of when does my when is it paid out this electric car will, will change as electric cars come into fashion.
1: And they're also internal combustion engines are going to continue to get more efficient and they're continue to be less polluting. So that right. issue will will be greatly reduced as well as even as their numbers tend to shrink a little bit
0: right. and 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 they're gonna they're gonna hybridize, okay? And so, yeah, so today, uh, and for for a lot of people, the Prius and, and that I'll say the Prius as a general sort of a model of a car where you get this car that's it's slow and it's kind of teeny. but you know it gets a hundred miles per gallon, yeah. or whatever it is. Um, and you I think that what you'll see in the near future is diesel hybrids. So uh, yes, a diesel engine is very well equipped to work on electric motor. Okay, especially diesel, diesel.
1: not for the propulsion, but diesel to work for electric generation for Correct. electrical propulsion. Correct, yeah. yeah. Got because it.
0: diesel is more efficient than gasoline. Yeah. Okay, so for the same amount of diesel you put in your tank, you're going to get more energy into that um, uh, battery pack. Yeah. I don't think hydrogen's going to take off.
1: I don't either. And it's just I, the having infrastructure- Having driven the Toyota, yeah. I, it's a lovely car. I don't think it's going to take off, and it's going to be because of infrastructure. The yeah. Tesla- I will get in tomorrow. I will drive to San Francisco. That's where I'm going tomorrow in my Tesla. No problem. No issue. Range is not a problem. Not the least bit worried. I got 100 alternatives. The hydrogen car, I couldn't drive to San Francisco. (laughs) I just couldn't go. There's no way to fill it. Yeah, you, you'd you have to,
0: like, figure out if you could, like, bring, like, a spare hydrogen tank in the back of the car or something. <laughs> yeah, it would be not a good idea.
1: That's right, yeah. Strap it to the roof and hope I did it right.
0: You know, I, I hope no one's listening to this, but this is I have this crazy idea of of having um, being able to sell people um, sort of add-on battery packs for their Tesla. If, like, if you wanted to, like, say, extend the range of Tesla for a day, you could rent a battery right. pack for a day. That would go in your trunk... It would display some of your luggage, right? but it would give you an extra 200 miles of range for that day.
1: There's a market for that. You could. I don't think there... I mean, if somebody told me I could, I wouldn't because it's a non-issue. I've been to San Francisco 10 times. I go to San Diego to go to Las Vegas. I've, Is it the supercharger stations that, that It's helps? the supercharger. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 80% charge in 20 minutes. So if I pull oh, wow. in... If I pull into on tomorrow, if I pull into the Harris Ranch or pull into the at the grapevine station and I go get a sandwich and go to the bathroom and come back to my car, I'm ready to go. You're done. Wow. I'm done. So it's not it's a non-issue. It's just a non-issue. So no, I, there'd be no reason for me to need that, and I'm N- not going to drive. The,
0: the smell of the dairy farms near Harris Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> How do you deal with that? <laughs>
1: you walk quickly into right, the yeah, restaurant. Okay.
0: That's right. Doesn't the Tesla have some kind of micron or a uh, uh, toxic? Um, the new filtration Model system? X
1: has a toxic filtration system that basically t- takes. You could have a, a, a biological right. contamination <laughs> and it wouldn't get inside the Model X. Right. Is the new air filtration system?
0: That's yeah. Uh, that's it's going to be fun. Yeah. And and when do you think you'll get one?
1: I'm delaying right now because the reason I'm the only reason I'm getting it is because it's bigger. It'll seat more people. And the one time I had a chance to sit in it and drive it, I didn't get a feeling it was that much bigger. So I'm waiting until they are in the showrooms okay. so I can sit in it and drive it and really get acquainted with it to To see if that's what I want to do, I think the high probability is I'm going to get it, okay. but I don't want to do it till I'm sure because I'm in no rush because I'm already driving a Tesla. And you're happy with the way. And that. I'm delighted with the way it is. I just wish it was bigger. So, so, so that's what I'm that's what I'm waiting for. And and they don't have any in the showrooms because they're selling every one that they can make, so they don't have any extras to put in the showrooms.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, on that note. I want to say thanks to uh, Stephen for uh, being a wonderful guest today.
1: Vince, this was a blast. I am <laughs> delighted, by the way, to have you guys uh, join all of us on TalkRadio1.com. That's a, a growing family with a growing audience, and uh, delighted to have you part of that.
0: Good, yeah, we're we're happy too. And um, guys, if you're listening, be sure to tune in to to Stephen's show. Um, it's the Steven Spear Radio Show on TalkRadio1.com. It airs uh, 10 a.m. Pacific or 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, East, Eastern, Eastern time, Saturday mornings on TalkRadio1.com. Uh, and that's all the time we have for the show today. So I want to um, thank uh, producer Ben for uh, sitting by the soundboard and listening to our conversation. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> it was my
2: pleasure. <laughs> and
0: keep on wrenching. You've been listening to Daily Turismo Radio. You can follow the show on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Daily Turismo and on Twitter at Daily Turismo.
1: Use the hashtag DT Radio.